0: Good morning! morning. It is good to see you all this morning as we come together for worship today. As we get started, I invite you to join with me in our prayer. I invite you to say this with me. Come Holy Spirit, come show us how we can be the spiritual heart of this community. Amen. Let us pray this morning. Loving God, oh that my ways were steadfast in obeying your decrees then I would not be put to shame when I consider all your commands. We will praise you with an upright heart as we learn your righteous laws. Let us open our hearts to your guidance, O oh God, as we worship you today. Amen. And if the children want to come up, Andrea's got our children's message today.
1: Testing,
0: their back.
1: much better. So I know church can be long sometimes. Would you all like a snack? Yeah. Yeah? Okay. So I got some snacks here. Uh, who wants peas? From strained peas? No. I got a spoon. No. Um, strained peaches? I do love peaches. <laughs> they have to take them there. Okay. Well, why don't you all want these? Jack would like them, just like Pastor John said. Why don't you all want them? Like they're baby food. They're baby food. And you're not babies. Once upon a time, I'm guessing you all loved these. Right? But what happened? You grew up? Yeah? And your taste changed? You learned to like other things? No, not much. Not much? What about, do you eat these for snacks? Yes. Yeah? Fruit snacks? This is... These are second best fruit snacks. We only eat baby food. Nothing else. Yeah. So, fruit snacks. You've kind of graduated to other snacks. I saw some animal crackers in a sack or pretzels. Would you feed Jack those? No, because he doesn't have any teeth. He doesn't have any teeth. He doesn't have the ability to eat it, and he he may not like it. Like a pretzel that may be too salty. He just doesn't know that what that's. He just hasn't developed a taste for it. How's that? So, as you grow older, your tastes change and you appreciate different things. You learn to like different foods. Does anybody here like a really good salad? Um, I don't really like, salad. like with maybe some chicken and some thin sliced red onion, some no. pecans? No. Uh, I don't really like salads. <laughs> bacon? 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 Bacon yes, I love you know, I love thinking. Well, your tastes change and as you get older you may learn to like salads. What about um, anybody like sushi? No, you like sushi? I just like, I just like but as you grow older you may learn to like that. You may develop a taste for it. Not <laughs> I not. So when you grow in your faith it's it's much like your tastes in food. When you were in nursery school, you probably aren't learning the same things that you learn now when you're downstairs. You learn like songs and things because you didn't, you didn't know all the stories yet. But as you grow older, you learn different things about your faith. And it's just like food. And that's why when you come to church and you continue to go to Sunday school and do studies, you learn different things as you age. It's not like you learn everything at once that there is to learn in church, and then you're done. You've got to keep growing and learning different things. Just like I'm not a fan of fruit snacks, and maybe someday you'll be like, no, I really don't like those. Those aren't good anymore. Because you've aged, your tastes have changed, and you've grown. So continue to grow in your faith as you've grown in your tastes. Yes, sir?
0: I haven't changed that much. <laughs>
1: <laughs> well, there is hope. Okay? I'll hold on to that. So let's bow our heads and say And repeat after me, dear Lord. Let us continue to learn just as we learn. To
0: like new foods. I like do food? As uh, we come together this morning, do we have uh, any uh, joys or uh, concerns that we need to share and lift up today. We did have a, a good day yesterday with the convoy of hope distribution. If you happen to drive by the church at about twelve fifteen or twelve twenty, it's all that really long line of cars that were lined up outside, it was. Everything was running a little bit behind yesterday, but we had about uh, 20 cards or so that were lined up when we started, and that uh, I think we we served somewhere between probably 25 and 30, maybe a few more families uh, yesterday than uh, with that. So it was a good day for us. As we uh, come together this morning, let's take this time as we do gather and we lift up our prayers, our presence, our gifts, our service, and our witness. Music will play here for a bit. The offering plates are here and open. I invite us at this time uh, to go to God. When the music finishes, I'll say a few words of a prayer, then I'll invite you to join with me in the Lord's Prayer. Let's make our offerings today. loving God we come and we give you thanks today as we gather in this place we give you thanks for this time of worship and for fellowship together we give you thanks for the joys and the blessings that you have given to us we give you thanks for the offerings that we can make into the into the ministries and the support that it goes to reach out and to share your good news with all those who are around us we give you thanks what you have given to us that helps to bring us together, helps up, helps to form us as a community of faith, helps to make us the people that you have wanted us to be from the very beginning. But as we have received so much from you, we also lift up and give back. We lift up to you our worries and our concerns. We lift up to you our prayers for those who are hurting and suffering, those who have a lot that is going on in their lives, others that are starting Uh, starting treatments and working on healing and recovering after falls and injuries. Still others we lift up who are traveling from place to place. Lord, we know that they are in your care, as we are all in your care. We lift them up to you knowing that you guide and direct, that you provide purpose and support and strength, and that even you call on us to be your hands and feet, that we may be the ones who can do those things in your name that we can provide words of encouragement and support, that we can help even in more direct ways when it's called upon. And yet still there are times when you tell us, just continue to pray, knowing that whatever is still to come, its time is not yet here, but that we continue to pray so that we stay in communication and contact with you, so that when the time comes, we are ready to hear your call. Lord, we lift up all of this today in the name of your Son, our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ we commit all of this to you uh, through the words of the prayer that Christ taught us, and so we say together, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory forever. Amen. Our scripture reading this morning comes from John's Gospel in chapter 8, and I invite you as you are able to stand and hear uh, God's word as as it is read today. And Jesus went to the Mount of Olives early in the morning. He returned to the temple. All the people gathered around him, and he sat down and taught them. The legal experts and Pharisees brought a woman caught in adultery, placing her in the center of the group. They said to Jesus, Teacher, this woman was caught in the act of committing adultery. In the law, Moses commanded us to stone women like this. What do you say? They said this to test him, because they wanted a reason to bring an accusation against him. Jesus bent down and wrote on the ground with his finger. They continued to question him, so he stood up and replied, Whoever hasn't sinned should throw the first stone. Bending down again, he wrote on the ground. Those who heard him went away one by one, beginning with the elders. Finally, only Jesus and the woman were left in the middle of the crowd. Jesus stood up and said to her, Woman, where are they? Is there no one to condemn you? She said, No one, sir. Jesus said, Neither do I condemn you. Go, and from now on, don't sin anymore. This is the word of God to the people of God. Thanks Thanks be to God. So this morning we are at part of the Ten Commandments, we've got four of them that we're going to be looking at this morning, Uh, and they come in pretty quick succession. Don't kill, don't commit adultery, don't steal, and don't lie. Or as I like to think of this group of them in there, this is the Bible-thumping section of the Ten Commandments, because they're short, they're punctuated, and they are seemingly self-evident that, well, of course we know what these mean. Uh, now, there's a couple of different ways that we can handle these. We can do, we can take each of them on their own and go separately with them. Uh, and uh, quite frankly, it would take me at least one Sunday, if not two or three per each of these to really get into them. Uh, so instead, we're going to take them all as, as one group. Um, because uh, I think if we're going to do them separately, we would be better off in a Bible study as opposed to trying to do this on Sunday morning. Because if any of you have ever had a high school English teacher, and Cheryl could probably tell you this, or you've had a college professor, they will tell you writing a shorter paper is far harder than writing a longer one. Because uh, these are very short commandments, and we think that they are very self-evident, but any time you have something that is very short like this, it is full of all sorts of assumptions. Things that whoever wrote it thinks, well, they're going to know this, so I don't need to put that in there. And the shorter that is, the more things that, uh, that they assume that you already know. Uh, take, for example, the first one, don't kill. We think, well, that's certainly easy enough and self-explanatory, except one of the very next things that happens in Exodus, and I think even in Deuteronomy, is that God says, go out and kill this group of people. And you're sitting there going, wait a minute, how is this supposed to work? And if you start looking at all of the work and the research that's been done over the years uh, on this commandment, it quickly devolves into an issue of semantics. People, they, they make huge distinctions between whether did, was someone killed or were they murdered. Uh, but that's where they go. In order to try and understand it, we devolve into, into that sort of place. We go to the next one, you would say, don't commit adultery. You're like, well, okay, that makes a lot of sense. Except we remember back when this commandment was written that the role of women was very different than it is now. Uh, in fact, where the role of women today is much different than it was, has been throughout all of human history. Because back in that time, women were considered property. And so adultery was something that was very different than what we think now. And so we've really got to kind of flush that out somewhere and say, what are we talking about here when we, when we say this? Then we get to the commandment that says, don't lie. And you would think, well, that's simple, and that is easy enough, you just always tell the truth, except that uh, you know and I know that society functions on a succession of little white lies. Things that we say that uh, uh, that keep us from doing unnecessary harm that have no other real impact beyond that that just kind of keeps things flowing nicely. The stereotypical one of these things is, uh, uh, for men at least, is when women say, uh, tell me about what this dress does to me, Not right? That. And then there's uh, there's the last one. Oh, I skipped one in there. I said don't. I skipped the uh, the third one in there. Don't steal. I, again, you think well that is pretty self-evident. I remember when I was the kids' age when they were up here today. I remember learning these commandments, uh, and, the, and the example that was always given. It's like you don't walk into a grocery store and steal a candy bar. Like that's just what you don't do. And that is perfectly age-appropriate for kids when they are that age to do that. The trouble is, is that we have a hard time taking that commandment beyond beyond that level of don't steal the candy bar from the grocery store. We could spend a lot of time talking about each of these commandments, and in fact, it would be good for us to do that at some point in time, but for this morning, we're going to focus on one of the big themes that runs through all four of these, and that is don't take what isn't yours. Don't take someone's life. Don't take their covenant they've made with someone else. Don't take their possessions. And don't take their truth. Life, covenant, possessions, and truth. All four of those words uh, are carefully chosen there for the things that we are told not to take from others. And we can see this begin to play itself out as we look at this story of the woman who was caught in adultery. We know how the story goes. Uh, We just read it. We see all the words there. It starts off with Jesus coming down off of the Mount of Olives and he's going into the temple and he sits down and teaches. Now to kind of see what was going on in there, uh, the, uh, the temple always had a large crowd of people. Many were just coming from out of town to see what was going on. Others were coming there to learn. Uh, If you've ever been to uh, someplace like the Lincoln Memorial in Washington, D.C., where there are always crowds of people gathered around, there's always uh, tour groups of people where there's someone in the center that's teaching a small group of folks that that are there, that's what that looks like. And so Jesus is walking into the middle of this. He's got kind of like his own tour group that's down there, and they are, uh, and they're, and he's teaching, and they're learning. And and this group of religious uh, legal experts and Pharisees come up to him, and they're like, oh, I can almost see them like dragging this woman along, saying, "Here is this woman who has been caught in adultery." They say, "Teacher, what should we do?" Moses told us we should stone women like this, uh, and they're just waiting to see how Jesus is going to respond. And we're told, and everyone knows this, if they have seen the interaction between these folks at all, knows that they are testing him to see what Jesus is going to say. Now you would think at some point they get smart enough to realize they aren't ever going to win this battle with him, but they, they're trying it really hard. And so they stop him and they say, and so he kind of looks at him and he goes down, he starts writing something out on the ground. Uh, they don't particularly care for this. So they are. Uh, so they keep pestering him with questions, asking more things. And Jesus stops, he looks up at him and he says, you who are without sin, cast the first stone. And then he goes back down to writing stuff on the ground. And then this crazy thing happens. One by one, starting with the elders that were there, they just kind of begin to melt away from this little gathering. Until eventually Jesus looks up and you know hears the whole the crowd all around him and it's like, uh, this is the part of the movie where you, you can see the crowd around him, but it's all blurred out in the background. And standing there kind of in the center is Jesus and this woman. And Jesus looks at her and he says, uh, Where'd your accusers go? Is there anyone here that is, that is going to condemn you? And she says, No one, sir. And Jesus replies back to her and he says, Neither do I. Go, go now and sin no more. Here's the thing about this story. The accusers were absolutely 100% correct, and according to what Moses had said, like they were bringing this woman here. According to the law, this was 100% exactly what should have happened, uh, what should have taken place when that when uh, they brought her to him, because that's just the way things were. That's the way that they did things, but they didn't do it, and it feels really shameful not on the woman's part, but on the part of the accusers. feels really shameful because of, of what they did in this moment. feels really shameful because of how they left the situation. Go back to verses eight and nine. Bending down again, Jesus wrote on the ground, those who heard him went away one by one, beginning with the elders. Finally, only Jesus and the woman were left in the middle of the crowd. We don't know what Jesus was writing on the ground. There is a ton of speculation about what Jesus wrote on the ground. Everything from he was just kind of recounting the law and other things, uh, just kind of listing that stuff out to uh, this is where if you all ever want to meet real gossips, go talk to preachers because we love our gossip or information sharing uh, more than most people do. And, uh, and so this is what I really want to know what who was writing down there because the speculation is, is that Jesus was just listing out all of the things that all of those accusers had done that would bring them up to the same place where this woman was. That's part of the speculation. But we don't know what Jesus wrote there. Uh, we don't know what it was that he was writing, but we do know that it was powerful enough that, uh, that, the, that they left in shame. And we hear the one thing that he says in the middle of this. He says to him, You who are without sin, cast the first stone. And those are the two pieces of that that we have that changes the entirety of what's going on. The shame of the accusers in this moment becomes palpable. And it happens because of what they had been taking and what they were taking and what they were about to take. Not just presumably from this woman, but from so many others. Uh, that they had come across. In this case, they were getting ready to take someone's life. If not literally, they were going to take that life metaphorically because uh, they would have been just as well off as just giving her a scarlet A to wear from that point on for the rest of her life because her life as she knew it would have been over. Uh, She was caught in the act, but where was the guy? There's one thing that Jesus is really good at in, uh, in this, in the Gospels, is that, you know, he makes sure he holds both parts of this accountable. He's good at doing that, and we're like, we're only given one person in here. Where's the other person that would have been involved? And while they weren't stealing an object from her, uh, they were robbing her, of her dignity and of her identity as a person. And with what they were doing and if, she, if she were going to continue living after this moment, they were taking any ability she would have had to be able to, to make a living for herself, to support herself because she always would have been known as that woman. And so they were taking all of that from her also. And I wonder where the truth was in all of this. Again, we only have one person that's brought in um, and, uh, they are, and so I wonder what truth they are taking from her and the situation. But more importantly, I wonder what truth are they hiding? I think it's the things they were hiding that Jesus was probably writing out on the ground for everyone to see. And so we've all heard the saying, and it shows itself to be true time and time again, that those who are yelling the loudest are oftentimes the ones who are the most guilty. And so we, and so we wonder, I wonder what truth were they stealing from her. Jesus, on the other hand, does something different. Jesus is restoring her life. He forgives her of her adultery, which gives her back her dignity and identity and exposes the lie for what it was when all of the men that had brought her there disappeared. And we can presume, because we have the story recorded in scripture, that she went from there and she didn't ever do it again. She did just as Jesus said. The greatest sinner in this story isn't actually the woman, but it's the men who had come around to uh, to try and test Jesus. And it's because of the things that they were taking from her. And we see this all the time throughout the Gospels with these folks that what kept getting them into trouble with Jesus was all of the things they kept trying to take from from the people that that were coming to listen to him teach, or the others that uh, they were trying to keep Jesus from healing, or any of the other things. They were always taking it from others. And the trouble was that to get what they wanted, what they thought was important, in all of this, we see them time and time again breaking the same commandments that they were called to uphold. Jesus is teaching them something different that you can hold to the commandments, but you can also still show grace. But that is going to affect something in you, which means that we're going to see things very differently from that point going forward. So let's put all these things together. We're reminded first of what it is that the commandments do. That the commandments aren't meant to be displayed in public places and say, everyone must follow these. These are the rules to live by because they don't make sense outside of a community of faith because they are meant to bring us together as a, as a community of faith, not as rules so that if we break them, then we know that we must be punished for them, but they're ways of living so that when we break them, because God knew that we were going to break them, we had been breaking commandments from the very beginning in the Garden of Eden. God was not going to be surprised when we broke these. So that when we broke them, uh, we knew, one, what it was that we had done so that we could confess well, so that then we could be forgiven and then we could find reconciliation and the community can be made stronger. So we see this all through Israel's history that when they were following and doing well, they were a community that did those things and they became stronger for it. That when they were at their worst, they had forgotten all of that. But that's what makes these commandments hard, though. Is because they are uh, because they do, they're meant to bring us together, help us to learn and to grow and to overcome when things go wrong. But remember at the start of this when I said, short doesn't mean easy. In fact, I kind of previewed this a little bit last week in talking about our previous commandment. Uh, I said this. Important to note here is that there's a lot more words in this commandment than we often use. In fact, when you stop to look at it, there's a uh, there's, a, there's a lot of, uh, there's more words in that commandment than come in the next several commandments that come after it. I have to admit I just kind of want to put myself up on TV again. Uh, I think this is a very definition of talking to yourself. Um, but, uh, but you know, we you know, I said it last week. We had all of those words in the commandments to honor thy father and thy mother. And there were way more words in there than there were in the next four commandments combined. Short doesn't mean easy. Short generally means it's full of all sorts of assumptions. All sorts of things that we assume that everyone is going to know, so we don't need to put that many words to it because we're going to know what that is, uh, but we don't always know that. And things have changed so much from the time when those commandments were written, much less from the time when Jesus was with his disciples, that we have to, we have to begin to look at them uh, Uh, look at them differently and see how do they impact us where we are today. And that's why I like the the idea of what are we taking from someone else when that happens? And not just from someone else, but oftentimes, what are we taking from ourselves? Because we can be our own worst judges a lot of time also. And so we look at these big four broad categories. First, are we taking someone's life, their real life or their, their metaphorical life? They may still go on living after that, but have we taken their ability to actually live? Have we taken the covenant or the relationship that they have made with someone else? And that doesn't just mean spouses either. This can apply in a lot of different ways, in a lot of different places. It doesn't just stay inside of a marriage. Have we taken their possessions? Not just simple as a candy bar, but their physical, spiritual, or mental possessions. Have we taken those things? Have we taken someone's truth, their, identi- their identity, or their dignity? These are the things that are a lot harder to talk about. Because so often we, we teach our kids what these things are, but then we forget to go back and revisit them when we get older. And that we need to go back and revisit them because, uh, because we have changed as we get, as we get older. I hope that I never lose my sweet tooth for, uh, uh, for fruit snacks, um, but that's the 12-year-old in me that still likes to come out. Uh, but we do get older, and we do change, and we need to go back and learn and to relearn. And it feels like that can be really hard, and that can be really complicated, except that uh, we see Jesus give us the example of how to do this. This is one of the things that Jesus does so well, is he tries to bring all of this together so that we don't make it harder on ourselves. And we see him teach, uh, teaching the accusers who don't really stick around for the lesson, but especially the woman and so many others, how to make this work. And the first thing he says is, don't cast the first stone. But then, he, but instead, he's telling us, look down and see what I'm writing. Look down and see what it is that I am trying to tell you. Because it he tells the woman, I'm not here to judge you, I'm here to help you do better. I'm here to help you figure this out so you don't do these things again, so you become more than what you were before. We look first to see what is it that Jesus is writing down there. The goal is not to cast the first stone, but to look first and follow him. Our world uh, can be a far more complicated place uh, than just a few words written on a page or inscribed in big blocks of stone that uh, can give the impression But Jesus shows us how we can both have, we can both show compassion but still have accountability, still hold each other and ourselves accountable uh, to, to to the guidance that he gives, to the commandments that he gives, that God gives to us. We can still do that, but it requires more reflection and it requires remembering the example that Jesus sets for us. Let us be people who look first to see what Jesus is saying, Whether he's writing it on the ground, whether he is teaching us more directly, wherever it is that it comes from, let us first be those people uh, before we ever cast that first stone. Let us be the people who can do that. And by doing that, can share that with others who can grow and who can overcome the things that have happened uh, to them or that they have done so that we can find that better place, that place where God wants us to be. Let us go and let us do all of this.